Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm really glad that you guys are all here tonight, and I'm super excited to continue in our identity series. My name is Sarah Rocco, and I'm on staff at Nazareth Lutheran Church, and I'm a part of the basic team. But before we begin tonight, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for knowing us by name. Thank you for bringing us here for a reason. Lord, and I just pray that we would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to know that we are called lovingly by you. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. So last fall, I had the chance to go to Florence and Rome, Italy for a week with a couple of friends. And I can say it was pretty easy to say yes to the trip because it was somewhere new. It was Europe. And I was going to travel halfway across the world with my friends on kind of a whim. And let me tell you, Italy was beautiful. But one of the most memorable experiences for me was arriving in Rome and touring the Vatican. And many of you have probably heard of the Vatican, and probably more so the Sistine Chapel, which is in the Vatican. So as we went through security and made it through the doors, I just stood in the entryway in awe. I was staring up at all the colors on the ceiling, and before I could even help it, I found myself exploring all over. The whole place was beautiful and decorated with gold and pillars and arches, unlike I'd never seen before. And I just remember standing there and seeing so many people. And I just looked at them, and I thought, these people are all children of God, just like me. And I have no idea if they know that God loves them or even if they know who God is. Which is kind of a weird thought to have in the midst of all of these humans in the middle of a building. So, quick question. Who knows who Michelangelo is? Great. And what did he do? No. <laughs> I didn't even think that was an option. He was a painter, but he is a Ninja Turtle as well. You guys threw me for the loo. <laughs> Debunked. <laughs> yes, he was a Ninja Turtle, but he was also a painter. <laughs> and he painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, right where I was this past summer. And if you didn't know, this is a masterpiece that paints a picture of creation across the whole chapel ceiling. So, Michelangelo, the painter, laid on a scaffolding for four years to complete the whole painting and was considered to be one of the best artists of his time. And then I learned about Leonardo da Vinci, and he was known for painting The Last Supper, which portrays Jesus eating with his disciples the night before his death. It's beautiful work. And what was interesting was that regardless of how beautiful and popular da Vinci's paintings were, he was heavily criticized and often looked down upon in comparison to Michelangelo. In fact, the Pope said this about da Vinci. This man will never get anything done, for he is thinking about the end before he begins. And after I read that, I was pretty curious about why it was so bad for da Vinci to think about the end before he began, right? I mean, da Vinci was about to paint Jesus and his disciples on the Last Supper, which is one of the best historical paintings of all time. And when I think about doing a task or project, I often have an end goal in mind, or at least an idea. 
And it's like if I want to get to a point A to a point B, I have to be thinking about how I'm going to do that before I even start. But the Pope clearly points out Da Vinci couldn't even start something because he was too wrapped up in how to even start. And he had all these ideas and talents and wasn't able to focus them on one thing. And I thought how hard it can be for me to start and focus on new tasks in my own life. And I bet this sounds familiar to you too. So tonight, we're entering the third part of our identity series, I Am Called. And much like Da Vinci and Michelangelo, who had beautiful talents from God, used to tell his story, God also shows us in Ephesians 4 that we are called to be a part of his story too. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Ephesians 4. And if you don't have them, that's okay, because the word should be behind me on the screen. And at this point, we've heard several truths within the first couple of chapters of Ephesians. First, that we are known and we are dearly loved by the Most High God. And knowing this truth is fundamental and believing that our identity is found in him. And we are also taught that God has saved us from sin by dying on a cross. And his death has nothing to do with anything that we've done or we will ever do. But simply, it was given as a gift from God. And Paul even talks about he, how he is one of the least capable of being able to preach the riches of Christ and show the light of God in chapter 3. So here, we have a man who has shamelessly persecuted Christians for their beliefs and is now preaching the gospel and the salvation that we have in him. And right at the beginning of chapter 4, we see Paul addressing the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... And telling them that they are called to the work of Christ and to be a part of his body. Right, and if it was today, I feel like Paul would be saying, you the dance, dance marathon team member, and you the worship team member, and you who helps out the boys and girls club, and you who works two jobs. Yeah, you. Get over here and listen to the good news of Jesus. And I love that God is calling all people right from the beginning. God is calling everyone into being and to be with him. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4, starting in verse 15. And it reads, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Just for a second, take a look around the room. Go ahead. You can turn your heads. What is beautiful is that God has called you and each person here into a relationship with him. And he's been calling people for generations before you and will still call people generations after you. The God of the universe calls each of us individually to him by name. And this for me is one of those slow clap moments, right? 
because it feels like everyone is up to bat and we're about to win the big game. Think of the picture. God has called us into being and to being with him and we are free to become who he is making us to be, all for his will and his good. And I don't know about you, but if I actually believed that every day of my life, I would find a lot more peace in the fact that God is always with me. And then I get ready for the standing ovation, right, about this next idea. Isn't it crazy that the God of the universe in the first part of the Bible calls people and creation into him and his likeness? For example, in Genesis, God called creation into existence like everything. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And then he called out to Moses in a burning bush in the middle of the desert and said to release his people from Egypt. And then God calls to Peter to walk on water in the middle of the Gospels and is still calling each one of us to him today. The same God who gave and called everyone and everything in the world is still relentlessly calling to you. And when we're called to be with God, we are called to be a part of a body, like it says in verse 15. We are to grow up in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, is equipped to work properly and in love. God just doesn't call those who he thinks are his rock stars and perfect believers. No. He invites everyone and assures us that we're not in this alone. We are part of a whole body of believers who are working together to make disciples of him. But you're probably thinking, Sarah, your talk is supposed to be about I'm called. And I get that God loves us and that we are part of this fancy body. But if you could just hurry up and get to the step-by-step of how to live a called life, that'd be great. And I'd say, I hate to disappoint you. That's not what I come to say tonight. Because life seems to get a little bit gray when it comes to the word calling in conversation today. It's like we stop moving once we hear the word pierce our ears and panic. And I know when you saw I'm called on the screen, you sank slowly in your chairs. Some of you immediately started to profusely sweat. And I even saw some tears in the back. But in all reality, the word calling or called is one of those loaded terms that we hear thrown around today. And even myself, as I was preparing this talk, was thinking about how calling equals what people do with their lives. You ever find yourself asking, I just don't know where God's calling me to live and work. Or, I feel like God is silent when I try to ask him what I should do. And then you realize it's pretty easy to make the word call about us. And when we make calling to be this really heavy word, It solely focuses on the me factor of our lives. And it's paralyzing, isn't it? We start to feel the weight of every decision being placed on our own shoulders. We feel like we've prayed, and we've prayed again and again, and we just don't have the answers. We feel like God has given us this huge puzzle called life to figure out on our own. We believe that God has a super specific plan for our lives, and if we derail from that plan at any moment in time, we're sunk. 
And I feel like God sees the lies that we believe, that there is only one plan, that he's a puzzle, and that it's about me and my life. And he looks at us and he says, this is a much bigger picture than you can even imagine. So acknowledging that I'm not very much older than you, and mostly even in the room, I feel like I'm right there with you when it comes to understanding the word calling in a bigger picture. I saw the God is a puzzle trap just a few months ago. Last May, as I was graduating from UNI and finishing my internship, people kept asking, so what are you going to do with your life when you graduate? What do you do when you grow up? Have you started your 401k or your Roth IRA or your student loan payments? And so on and so forth. And you don't even have to be a senior to hear any of this stuff. And I was like, I am waiting on the whole response of the Lord, people. <laughs> and now I was really waiting on God. But in all reality, I had totally been plotting my own plan for my life. I had considered a couple jobs and options, and I really didn't have a clue. And I remember my prayers were like, God, help me find a job that I like and help me to do it for like 18 or 20 years. And then I'll be 40, and then I can do ministry because I'll be comfortable, and I'll be ready to do ministry by then. I'd fallen into the trap of believing that God had this puzzle and this big picture that he wanted me to build all by myself. And I believed that what I do was way more important than how I actually chose to live and was living for God. And I thought the same God, the same God who knew me by name was being tricky with this elaborate puzzle that he had. But in all reality, God was asking me to trust him and to be with him. I was missing him in my daily life because I was so focused on me and what I was doing. I was missing the being with God because I wasn't even looking at him. Because I was solely looking at myself. I was being a da Vinci. I couldn't even start to think about the future because all I saw was the end that was unclear. And what's funny is the whole reason I have the ability to live in the way that I do is to bring full joy and glory to Christ. And I can tell you, we all lose sight of this pretty quickly. Kevin DeYoung once said, we can stop pleading with God to show us the future and start living and obeying like we are confident that he holds the future. And I love this because it totally dismisses the belief that there's one specific plan for our lives that he has this puzzle created for us and wants us to figure it out. Because God just doesn't reveal the blueprints of our life or our future and who we're becoming when we ask him to. God tells us if we continue to get to know him and entrust in him, we will realize that when we respond to his call, we start to become more of who he is making us. God has called us to be with him, which allows us to find rest regardless of what the next two days or the next ten years look like. Because we are answering his call by joining in what he has made us to do. So, now here we are, a year later, and I'm back standing in front of all of you. And I can tell you that either I am the best-looking 40-year-old in the room who's doing ministry. Sorry, Carla. 
Or there's a little bit more to the picture I didn't see a year ago. You see, this summer, I was sitting at a county 4-H fair in Iowa City, Iowa. 4-H. And I had missed a call from Carter Moore. I had missed a call from Carter Moore. Typical. Uh, so I called him back on my lunch break. And he said, Sarah, what are you doing after you finish your job in Ames? And I made a list of jobs that I had considered, like grad school and AmeriCorps and going home and working in Fort Dodge and moving back to Cedar Falls. And I made this super elaborate plan as I was talking to him on the phone. And he listened. And he said, there's an open uh, college-age ministry position at NAS I think you should apply for. And I laughed. And I said, I can't do ministry. I'm not 40. Um, <laughs> but I applied anyway. You see, God has this job in my life for a reason. God gave me a heart for people and for stories and for each of you. And this occupation he gave me in this moment, in this season, for a reason. And I believe and know that this season of life isn't it. Or the only specific plan that he has for me. Because I don't know his whole plan for my life. But God promises that whatever my life looks like, that he desires to use it for his greater will and purpose. And he promises to lead us along the way. And you know something? I think this notion of trying to find this called job or this called relationship, or this called missions trip or major is a lot of hype. Right? Even if I didn't work at a church right now, God is still calling me and you to do whatever we do for him. So whether you teach or you coach or you account or you sing, it's because God has given you the ability to glorify him while doing those things. And Paul countlessly tells his people to build themselves up in unity and in love and in kindness and fully love God and others as our primary call in life. And these attributes are the ones that we should focus on when we're thinking about answering any call in life. Jesus sees us as unique and precious and significant masterpieces who are free in him, and we can see how God will use our specific talents and our job and our locations to glorify him if we let him. So here I am working for a church, but on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday nights, you can find me at a local bar on Main Street. And I can tell you when I graduated last spring, I never thought I'd be swinging two jobs because I had a college degree and that equaled at least $45,000, right? Maybe forty-six. But that's not right now. I got hired at a church for a part-time position and I needed to find another job. So I looked for a job that I could get some decent hours, meet some people I've never met before, and learn something new. And that has surely happened. And it's interesting sometimes when I tell people that I work at a bar because I guess churches and bars are conflicting work environments by the worldly standards today. <laughs> However, I see Jesus every day that I work there. I see it in Riley, who committed himself to AA and to rehab 
in order to make a better life for him and his wife. Now I see Jesus working in Ray, who is on dialysis. And he continues to sit on a five-year waiting list for a new kidney. And, but he confidently says that he's here on earth from God for a reason. And I even saw it the night that my new friend Jamie walked in the door. Freshly out of a romantic relationship, she laid every raw emotion on the counter within a 90-minute time span. She talked about the hopelessness she felt about her relationship with men. She shared her concern for her security and her immense desire for love. And she acknowledged that every awful relationship she has is because of the poor relationship that she has with her father and how those relationships still impact her every day. And as I talked to her, I thought the same thing as I did when I was in Italy, surrounded by so many people. Does she even know that there's a father in heaven that is loving and recklessly calling out to her? And then I think to myself, how amazing, how beautiful is that God calls us to be with him and gives us the ability to do so in our churches and in our bars in our dorms, in our classes, and with our families. And even when we feel overwhelmed by the places or situations that he puts us in, we are free to choose comfort in the fact that he has called us there for his glory. God promises that he is already in everything and through everything, and we don't have to take it upon ourselves to do anything without him. And in the beginning of Ephesians 4, it says, You were called to the one call that belongs. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And regardless of the worldly things that can make life messy, God first calls us to him and to love and to serve him in all things. So tonight, I want to challenge you to shift your focus to the promise of a bigger picture and the chance to live out his call of loving him and loving others every day. Calling isn't about your location. It's not about your destination. It's about your participation of being with him and loving him and loving others. Will you, children of God, answer his call? You want to pray with me, please? God, thank you for calling us to be with you. Thank you for never leaving us behind, even though it feels like it sometimes, Lord. And I just pray that we continue to lean in the fact that you give us, each and every one of us, a specific gift and a talent and a joy and experience to share with you and with others, Lord. I pray that we would find rest in you. In your holy name we pray.